Actually, hear me. Awesome. Well, I'm Ray Ray, and I am Dave, and a special guest, yes, and he is Nathan Stig. Awesome. Well, thank you guys uh, for showing up again at six o'clock on a Monday night here, Central Time, uh, to join us at the Tag Your It podcast. So the, again, every week, the past few weeks, it's been awesome. I feel great. I know. I miss this uh, next on, week so. will be our last week of bah, 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 yeah. Right? And then we'll take so, a little bit. Of and break. we'll take a little break. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It'll be good, man. I'm good. It'll be exciting. Yeah. So um, we really don't have any like new announcements. No, so just uh, still, just uh, consider the debates. Consider the shows that we have on our events page on Facebook. Share those. Um, if you're on Twitter, uh, we're on Twitter. Say hi to us. Um, we just really want to start getting interactive, um, and then also just uh, put it at the beginning of the uh, podcast, uh, continue just going to uh, either CastBox, uh, iTunes, uh, go to our YouTube page, uh, like things, uh, put out reviews and stuff like that so this gets out to more people, because even, you know, even if you don't hit share, those reviews help share things, and we would like to just hear how the Tag Your It podcast has edified you or has, has worked um, and been helpful in any of everyday conversations as you're trying to talk to people and talk about Jesus Christ with them. So anyway, I think that's the only housekeeping I can think of. And since we can go long-winded and we've got a guy in the studio with us, which makes that uh, temptation even better, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll get right to the meat and potatoes. So tonight we're going to talk about iGen, and we have a guy here that's uh, been uh, studying up on it, and I know Dave has studied up uh, I only read on the books too, that so. he has directed me to read okay. at this particular point, so, <laughs> so you yeah. know. But yeah, we um, want to, and I mean this, um, just to preface it, uh, this definitely connects with uh, transhumanism, uh, yes. artificial intelligence, and all this stuff that we've been talking about. So this is just another facet of the conversation so, that needs to be had. Again, one of the things we are trying to study and trying to cover on the podcast is things that we don't see other apologists talking about. Mm-hmm. So transhumanism, I don't know anyone else who's talking about that. I haven't seen it in any other apologetics podcast. Just not because it's not important. It's exceptionally important. But here it is, media and culture being changed. And there are impacts of that. And apologetics is going to have to change. It's going to have to alter. It's going to have to adjust to the vast shifting cultural sands and how that impacts us sociologically. So that's why we've invited you because you're engaging these things mm-hmm. and you are reading a lot and directing people to read good things. So yeah, by the way, Nathan will meet with me and we try to meet once a month mm-hmm. is generally our, our goal to meet once a month on a Saturday morning and discuss books, discuss theology, discuss ministry. So he goes to a church in the town that I live in. He doesn't go to my church. He is at Calvary Chapel mm-hmm. Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. 
Free Will Baptist Church, and uh, so Mark, who we had last year mm -hmm. in July on, that's his pastor. Okay. And so through Mark, I met Nathan. Uh, so yeah. Awesome, and yeah, that's one thing I guess I can tell you guys about. If you go through our Facebook videos, you can see how or whenever we talked with Mark about the book, and I think you actually brought it with you, didn't you? Uh, Was it how the phone's changing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, 12 ways your phone's changing you. So it's something that... Um, I think I lost audio, and so I couldn't drag it over to the podcast. So it never made it up in the podcast. But you can go and uh, talk or kind of bring that into the conversation. Um, going back through our videos here on Facebook, anyway, to talk about uh, or listen to what he has to say about twelve ways your phone is changing you. So thanks for bringing that book because that brought up that content. So yeah. anyway, um, Dave gave a brief introduction, but let's uh, swing it on to you. Um, let's just let us know about a little bit more about yourself here. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. So I appreciate uh, you guys inviting me on and I'm happy to be here. Um, I uh, professionally, I am a public high school science teacher. And so I work in the Buffalo High School and teach science. Uh, all the sciences, and um, I also, in that capacity, am the advisor for our Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so um, the last thing I did before I left school today was met with some of the um, our Christian students and planning out our remaining meetings for the school year. How many do you have? About three? Um, how many students? Uh, I know not how many meetings you have. You get, oh, you're coming uh, to the we, end. We meet every uh, Thursday morning, so I think we've got... Two left. And that is one of the ways that you actually intersect with my ministry because there are students from my church who he impacts on a daily basis because they have even mentioned Mr. Stitt. And when I told them that I knew you, they're like, you know Mr. Stitt? I was like, oh yeah, I know Nathan. Yeah. And then they'll come back on a, like a Monday and talk about things that they heard at church. or Hope so, that it's good yeah. things. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so also on Sundays... Um, I teach the kind of like college, we don't call it the college Sunday school, uh, but it's basically once you graduate from high school, it catches from 18 to 28, most of them are under 25, I think, or 26. Um, so I teach uh, the Sunday school class at the kind of like the college age or post high school age, and then uh, on Wednesday nights, I'm one of the youth group leaders with the... Now, how long have you been teaching in the public schools? Um... 11 years. So we're talking, you started in doing my math, you started in 2008. So yeah. that would have been a time that you would have mm -hmm. actually had. And I'm just going to, I know, well, I just want to ask this now because it's kind of clarify. When you first started, you were dealing with millennials and mm -hmm. you are a Gen Xer. And so you've actually seen mm -hmm. a change within the generations. And that's why this is probably a fascinating topic for you yeah and like the way I teach my classes is completely different from when I first started yeah so because the students have changed so let's jump in uh, to some of these interview questions because I think we've got some good stuff here so Nathan uh, what brought your attention actually to these generational studies and trends and why is this a worthy topic for apologetics and worldview programs okay. Um, that hasn't actually come from the public school. Um, that has come more from uh, my experiences at church with a youth group and Sunday school teaching. Um, because it's one thing to teach science, it's another thing to talk about religious faith and uh, beliefs with teenagers or 20-somethings. And, uh, and also, uh, Mark Elliott, he mentioned earlier, is uh, probably my best friend, and we meet regularly and talk about 
ministry, and particularly youth ministry. Uh, he's been a youth pastor primarily. And so I, th I think ministering to young people um, is difficult. And those difficulties, I just felt like I didn't know enough about it. And so gradually I've been becoming increasingly aware of um, just generational differences. And I think you understand your own generation pretty easily. It may be the generations older than you, but it's hard to understand the younger generations sometimes. So, I, I've had to be very proactive. So that. like in the church, we don't, this is not a new issue. This is something that we've seen. Um, I know Adam and I are about the same age. We're millennials. We're about five or six years younger than you are. We're a little bit older millennials, uh, according to most figures that I've looked at, thanks yeah. to you. Uh, but you're also a younger Gen Xer. And so we see, at least even when we were younger in the church, you could see like, well, there's older people just don't get us. And you would say that that is something you noticed when you were sharing the gospel with and trying to minister to. It's like, hey, I can't relate to you. I want to share the faith with you and I want it to be useful to you. But you process the world in a different way than me. And so you would say that that was kind of the way that your mind was brought into this concept. Yeah. Well, when you're talking to somebody about something you feel is important, you don't want to be written off. Yeah. I, I want my voice to be relevant to you. And if I'm not speaking your language, then I'm not sure you're going to listen to what I have to say. And then I'm wasting my breath. So that was a bit my, probably my main motivator. So when it comes to uh, this iGen thing, I mean, we really need a definition. Because, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we hear Gen X mm -hmm. all the time. We hear millennials. Mm -hmm. um, but what is the definition of iGen? Um, so there's people who study generations like generational scientists. Um, one of the uh, experts on that, uh, I don't believe she's a Christian, um, but she her name is uh, Jean Twenge, and she's got a PhD, so Dr. Jean Twenge, and she wrote a book called iGen, uh, subtitled Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, and what that means for the rest of us. And... Uh, She's named them iGen. Uh, probably one of the defining features of their generation, of the iGen generation, is that uh, they grew up in the age of the iPhone. They've pretty much grown up in the smartphone era, uh, which is different from the generations that came before them. So what would be a major defining feature that, of course, Gene Tween... Twin, twingy. 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 I know like I heard twingy. it, but I still messed up. But Gene twingy. twingy has identified as like, okay, these... Folks in this generation have a sociological framework that is functionally different, and there's a major result of there's a major indicator of where that began, and it is the iPhone. Yeah, is that correct? Because uh, they the were in middle school when the iPhone first came, which was 19, 2007. Yeah, 2007. But likewise, the iPhone from the internet generation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, 1995. So that is her beginning is 1995 for this generation. To 2012. To 2012. Ish. And so those students, by the time they were 17, mm -hmm. iPhone is out. Internet phone, mm -hmm. right, is the idea. Well, if, and so if you back up in time, you had the personal computer in the 80s, and, well, really the 90s, and then the internet, but the internet was accessed through a computer. Well, now with a smartphone, then you have the internet in your pocket. Gotcha. So, so a loose definition would really be any young person under the age of 25 
students in elementary school, middle school, high school, and like a four-year college are all going to be iGen. Or if you're into, uh, like with millennials and uh, Gen Y, this would be also be Generation Z. Okay, yeah, one. very well. And so that's why this is, what we're talking about right now is, mm -hmm. and you and I were talking about this on the way over here, is any kid who is in public education, right, or, mm -hmm. or who is in school right now, like about Gen seven years old. student. Yeah, yeah, about seven years old to... The, guy, the folks walking the stage, mm -hmm. right, right now, uh, or not right now, but this week, next weekend, yeah, right, right, who are graduating from college, that's them. And so they're the next definitive generation behind the millennial generation, mm -hmm. which is behind the Gen X, which is behind the baby boomers, yeah. which is behind the greatest generation. And yep. by right, okay, you're good. So, uh, well, we have got a good working definition. And so that moves us to this. What are some trends that would define or allow this generation to be identifiable? What sets them apart? Um, there's uh, characteristics, I guess, of their generation, and you can go back and characterize the different ones. I'm just going to cheat and steal from her table of contents. Yeah, and I've got and, my copy uh, right here on this device. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so just some characteristics. They're in no hurry to grow up. So 28 is the new 18. You know, that's so. interesting. I want to say that real quick because last night, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone, so I'm not using names, but the first speaker said, baccalaureate. I'm not ready to start adulting. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Why should I mean, you? Yeah. I mean, whenever I hear that, they're not ready. They're, they're not growing up as fast. So, I mean, we've got to figure out what standard are they pulling to say they're not, they're, is it a relative standard compared to the other ones? Is there an objectivity? Well, like my grandparents' or? generation, uh, your average American woman, I think, was married around 18. Yeah. And now it's like the age of marriage for a woman is closer to 26, 29, somewhere in there. So it's almost a decade removed. Yeah. And, you know, now if a kid was getting married at 17, 18, 19, people are like, aren't you a little young to get married? Maybe. So that's, that's, in, that's just one example yeah. of relationships. But basically putting off... Growing up, um, not even necessarily a delayed adolescence, but actually a delayed childhood. So almost like, well, I'm going to sit around and watch cartoons. Things you say like, well, yeah, I did that in grade school. But you might do that and watch anime. Well, like... I mean, you could be 27 living at uh, home. I think there was... That's a delayed childhood almost. So like the idea that we see even in the adult coloring book, like that yeah. is a possibly a extension of this idea, right? Um, I'm being silly. Like some of these, some of these yeah. kids are. Yeah. Just Austin and I were talking about it, and the ice cream truck is going on. Yes, <laughs> I know. I just I don't know if you said the ice cream truck, but it was coloring books and ice cream trucks. <laughs> oh, this is the informal tag yeah. podcast. So um, they also she mentions uh, internet online or always online. Um, most young people spend hours and hours, uh, sometimes nine, ten, twelve hours online. Basically, always connected and yeah. online. Um, I'm with you only virtually, um, insecure with mental health crises, uh, irreligious or um, having no sense of spirituality, or you could say they are spiritually illiterate, um, insulated, the kind of like helicopter parenting where like a lot of our problems are kind of solved for us by the adults, and I might be like 23 or 24, but my mom's going to fill out my job applications for me, like that kind of thing, just not not adulting or just being insulated from some hardships, uh, financial and otherwise. Uh, having income insecurity or um, the uh, the Great Recession, so to speak. They're kind of like they've grown up in the atmosphere 
of uh, not having really a lot of prospects, which I think the millennials have obviously uh, been talking about for a long time. Uh, and finally, um, dealing with uh, issues with uh, human sexuality, their definitions of um, sex, uh, marriage, child rearing, or even uh, the LGBT issues, uh, gender issues, uh, race issues, those things, they have a much more open mind and tolerant view than I'd say uh, conservative or maybe the, the traditional um, American. Yeah, so I mean, we're still talking about a lot of subjective mm -hmm. stuff going on um, whenever we're looking at this, but we do see facts. We do see the facts of um, they're marrying later. Mm -hmm. So we see that, okay, so they're marrying at around this age. They're finally maybe taking on responsibility. So, you know, I'm going to interject there. What they say adulting, I would call, they just don't worry willing to take on responsibility. So it's a responsibility. It's like adulting is just an uh, immature word for So not for that, to be negative yeah. because like one of the things as, as I read the book, like I have this like this concept that keeps going like, well, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Like we can yeah. certainly apply a biblical standard to say these trends are startling. These trends are, they run contrary to a biblical worldview. But we need to recognize in that same sense, like, we don't want to pick on these folks. Like, some of this is not actually, some of these trends are not completely terrible or completely problematic. But tell me a little bit about the trends that you note that are probably the most problematic. And, and if I'm okay, this wasn't in the question, but like, uh, from a Christian worldview, what would be some of the things that would be startling to you uh, when you look at the overall balance of this generation yeah i had the same response reading it i was like this is terrible yeah they're becoming less religious um you know there's all these things that i would view as like negatives and and i see it um definitely everything that she's saying that she's seeing in the research and in the numbers i see in the classroom every day um america is becoming less and less christian by the year and for the kids that are graduating from college right now these trends have been over two decades in the making so it's, you know, this, I think the major point from all this conversation really needs to be how do we have communication with young people? And I mean, do you I, see uh, that being like one of the biggest things is the communication gap? It's not, it's, yeah, yeah it I, would, the, I would say that's probably the biggest one um, because I do, th and I, I know we talked about this earlier, but I do know that they do, uh, young people do want to have conversation with people. Yeah. Uh, I think that's human nature really but if the if there are not open lines of communication then the communi communication either stops or it devolves into like arguing or screaming matches and and um so i think it's important to yeah i would say just to answer your question the communication uh no just knowing who they are i think is really valuable if, from a communication standpoint I don't know if I fully answered your question. It's okay. My thought was, uh, my question was like, what are some of the trends that mm -hmm. kind of surprise you, kind of startle you, or got your attention, and you're like, oh man, that's bad stuff. But here's the other element, because I think these two kind of merge. You're a public school teacher. You're dealing with iGen or Gen Z every day. You're dealing with over 100 students. What, there's 600 students or so in Buffalo Public Schools. Uh, in Buffalo High School, yeah, cool. and you're dealing with those students, 300 plus of them a day, right? Yeah. So 
when you read the book, what are the things that you definitely like, man, I see that mm -hmm. in a daily basis, on, on a daily yeah. scale? Um, I think the main one is probably just the lack of personal responsibility because um, students are like, uh, as far as like maturity, I just don't think they're, I'm not saying teenagers were mature when I was in high school, Yeah. but I think it's... Uh, like your typical high school teen is more like a middle schooler. It is weird because they grow up, I think um, their awareness of like human sexuality is happening younger, like early middle school. But I think their maturity as like a human individual, like growing into their own personhood is like massively being delayed. Hmm. So um, their their awareness is increased because of their access to information. Yeah. And so they're getting a, their they're getting their personal responsibility is low. So they have access to all these terrible things, mm -hmm. uh, and we could say that from a uh, perspective of morality. Mm -hmm. uh, they have access to pornography a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got access to it all of the time, mm -hmm. whenever they want, mm -hmm. wherever they want, mm -hmm. right? They also have access to tragic events. Mm -hmm. um, they can see terrorist attacks occur in live time, like literally, mm -hmm. you know, a school shooting they have a live feed. They can almost have yeah. a live feed of that going on while it's there. They interact with a lot of social events through social media and watching videos. And so I know um, the school shooting in Florida. Yeah. They um, came back. That was like, I think, on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. And they came back on Monday to school almost with PTSD, like they were there because they had watched it over the weekend. Hmm. And it was almost like they were there because their main way of interacting with events is through their phones. And so it was just another event they interacted with and it was so traumatic. They came back on Monday and they were speaking about it in the first person. It's like, but you weren't you weren't in Florida. But they were almost identified, like very personified, which I think is very it's crazy. I, I don't respond that way, but definitely yeah. like I had more than one student kind of talking about the shooting in the first person as if Yeah, they there's were there. there's empathy, but then there is uh, the the issue of taking it personally and making and projecting it upon you, and I think that's uh, that is a problem to see. Instead of you know where I showed up at nine eleven, I was on the practice field um, and marching band, and then I walked into the band room and like I mean it was that surreal effect of seeing the TV and seeing the tower mm -hmm. and smoke and stuff. But you know it didn't hit me to where I I took it personally. I went wow. That ha that's it's really like, interesting. I, I, so it's not like it's actually more real now. And then I, where I was in a surreal moment, it's in a real moment. And so instead of just having compassion and empathy, now this generation, because they have it, are now applying it to Very well. And that's it. really yeah. interesting to me. And it reminds me of Joshua Merowitz's mm -hmm. book, No Sense of Place. It's a 1985 book. So okay. it's actually a little bit dated book. But he kind of predicts this idea that. The more access we get to digital media, right? And then he's not writing in 1985, right? So he's theorizing and he's saying the more access we get to digital media, right? Uh, the more we'll have this idea that we've experienced these things that we haven't experienced. For example, he writes in 1985, right? The Discovery Channel is out, right? Mm -hmm. If you got cable TV, wow, man, cable, you can, you can watch the Discovery Channel. Right? Or the animal channel, something like that. Well, you know what? I've never seen an elephant in Africa, or an African elephant in real life, right? Mm -hmm. But I've seen tons of them because of television. I've had that experience. And so what Merowitz is saying is our mind has a separation naturally. But when digital media becomes, or we become immersed mm -hmm. in a digital media, 
we begin to change the framework by which we understand how we experience events. Does that make sense? Change, you're talking about like a fundamental change in how we experience reality. Yes, and that's exactly what he is saying is going to happen, and we can see it right there. It's already impacting these this generation. And I can tell you that anything that I'm experiencing through this is just as real, or just not as real, but just as valid as anything that happens in person. Yeah. And so right to, to maintain your friendship virtually... Is it's still? I mean, I had a student explain it to me. Well, I have a friend. And I was like, like at school. No, no, I, I've only actually met them online, but they're a friend of a friend, and it was somebody who only had graduated from the school two years prior, but they knew each other through their social network, and they were trying to explain to me how they could still be friends even though they never met in real life. And I'm like, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but she felt like she had to justify that relationship because they were friends on Snapchat, but okay. they never met in real life. But it was a friend one year removed from her who had graduated two years prior. And, uh, and trying to explain that that is still a real friendship. Uh, so, which yeah. it's, it's a relationship, but it's yeah. not the same as in person. And it, you see, and I know this is not in our notes, but like you see this in the way some, what I would say Gen Xers that I've witnessed, talk about things on social media where they'll like actually make fun of a kid who's maybe had someone block them on one of their social media, um, get ghosted. Or, yeah. And they, and it bothers them. Well, it bothers them. Cause that's really, that's how they experience friendships. Well, it's the trauma of letting one of your Snapchat streaks die. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. It's a, a meaningless <laughs> uh, metric that has yeah. like significant relational meaning. Um, I'm pulling up another book that I wanted yeah. to make yeah. sure that I Yeah, this gets into that. So. You know, how, how is the phone changing us? And it, it is programming us because they're they're utilizing these things. So, I mean, it's just a big marketing firm. Well, how you get that reward, what gets you that, you know, that rush of energy, makes you happy. And they're catering it to you and then controlling you without you really feeling that control until you step outside of yourself because you're not in reality. You've got to step in reality and be like, wait a second. Like, I mean, it's the most yeah. valuable tool I own. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm 41 or going to be in a week, and, and like, it's the most valuable thing I own. Yeah. Uh, I access my Bible through it. I contact with every person I know, and uh, it keeps me connected. I, like, uh, my life would extreme, be extremely different without it. And it's and just for like, students like, growing up with it, it, it'd be. Yeah. I remember my life before my smartphone. But these individuals really don't. I guarantee you, my daughter Violet, who does have a tablet, does not know a time when, or does not remember a time where mom or dad didn't have a smartphone device, device mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where you didn't have access to the internet all of the time, whenever you wanted. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, I, I remember it was a big deal when I was at SPU. And the whole campus is going to be wireless. Or all the dorms are going to be wireless. Like have Wi-Fi. Like even having Ethernet in your room was like a massive deal. Like we're going to have Ethernet in our room. Yeah. That was like the greatest thing in the world. Wow, we can get the internet? Man. <laughs> well, access to Wi-Fi is a basic human right. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well be. Yeah. Uh, that moves me on just a little bit here. Sure. And uh, to number six here. Uh, what are some ways that apologists and church men and women can begin to address the issues that we see uh, as problematic in iGen. And here's the other thing. How can we begin to address this generation in a means and a method that is going to resonate with them? 
Well, um, the main thing is to have open lines of communication um, because we want to hurt to be heard and um, we also want to hear them as well. So I think the starting point is awareness. Um, I don't think you would have invited me on your podcast if you didn't think that was important. But to be aware of your audience and who you're talking to. Uh, if you are, in fact, a messenger sharing a message that you think is important, then you need to understand your audience and, you know, what's next after iGen? You know, when I'm dead and gone, who's how are my children going to go on uh, sharing the gospel? And I, so I think there's going to be a, a never-ending need to understand the generations that are coming after us. And um, especially if you consider that uh, America used to be a more Christian nation, and so our, our grandparents and great-grandparents' generation were largely, we wouldn't even talk with, about them being an unreached people group because America was like heavily reached for the gospel and, and a Christian nation. And uh, now you can say that young people are unreached. And uh, they might say they believe in God, but they're largely ignorant of uh, religion and spirituality. Um, I think the term uh, spiritually illiterate uh, is one that's been used that's really applicable. So, 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 yeah, yeah. so the tools then, I would say, is you can look to secular sources. You have people who uh, generational scientists, um, which I mentioned iGen, that book earlier. Um, you've got books uh, that are written towards a Christian audience. Um, we talked about the 12 ways your smartphone is changing. And actually, I noticed that Tony Renke was actually a signer of the uh, statement on oh, artificial intelligence. Okay, cool. So I know that was there. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. my mind going somewhere yeah. crazy that we were talking about a little bit. But so, so stay informed. Like, man. So it's the responsibility of yeah. churchmen and women. An apologist to study generational trends, not because we're wanting to change the gospel for them, but because we need to adapt to our audience. It's like you would not go into a nursing home and begin to speak about social media. Well, most of the individuals in there would Paul, not understand what you're talking about. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, was trained, had religious training, and and then when the the message when when after Jesus, and then the message shifted towards uh, being open to the Gentiles. They met, and you met with the church leaders before they went on into the nations. And I think that same kind of paradigm applies, is if you're all things to all people that I might win some, then what what do we need to be? I'm, I'm already secure in my salvation, but what about those who aren't? What do I have to do to make sure that like my point of view is heard? Yeah. And that way the Holy Spirit can act. Yeah, and I mean, the, the big thing is, what does that look like? So they're, you know, we got kids on their phones, you know, so how far do we go in being, you know, and like I said, and like I said earlier before we started the show, we need to make the distinction here that this is evangelism. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there might be another topic for another show to where we don't do this with our congregational church services, but this is the being, being, Everything to all people is strictly whenever your feet hit the ground, when you wake up in the morning, you're going to work, you're going to school, um, you're walking down the street, walking your dog. Um, you know, this is this is the scattered church, um, you know, 
Because you know what the disciples did after everything went down, they were sent out of Jerusalem, and uh, God used means to scatter His people because they would probably like to stay in Jerusalem. So He scattered them, and so as they're evangelizing, so what what does this look like um, concerning this generation? We got again, they're they're in their phones all the time. They get all their information from there. Um, you know, we've got paper books that we like to read. We've got a Bible, yeah. which is God's Word. You know, yes, it's on the phones, but like you know, they're they're on Google all the time, and yeah. unfortunately. Um, just to bring in, I've seen the venues. Uh, another, you know, we've we've talked about them on this podcast Our favorite before, church and unfortunately, <laughs> you know, I watched a video on there, and so this is a church that is embracing Igen in the in the bad way. So? Whenever they said like they had a Q, they had a Q and A service one night, and uh, the pastor got up and said. Um, you know, you might be here to hear me give you answers, and I'm not here to give you answers. If you want answers, you can go to Google. Yeah. Hmm. A leader of a church, of a congregation, said but that, that was so perfectly, this, yeah. perfectly applicable to this generation. Yeah, it resonates like, with yeah. Igen, because yeah, I yeah. would Google the answer. Yeah, so yeah. this is why I said, this is why we need to make that distinction. This is, doesn't belong in our congregational gatherings, mm-hmm. but what does it look like? Whenever we go to the schools, whenever mm-hmm. we go to work, whenever mm-hmm. we go, wherever we go, and we've got people um, that, you know, like, I don't want to make the generational distinction because that's arbitrary. Mm-hmm. I want to make the distinctions of the Bible. You got older and younger, and the olders are supposed to teach the younger. So how? What does it look like for us to get well, there? And that's where I think it kind of goes into this next question. What are some of the positive generational mm-hmm. trends that you saw? Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing is I saw things that I was hopeful about. Mm-hmm. Though I, I saw things in the book that I was like, yeah. man, bingo. Mm-hmm. We can, I know why that is because mm-hmm. we've got the gospel. So not only have you read that book, you've read you know good parts of this, but also what do you see? Yeah. What have you read that is mm-hmm. a hopeful tool that we can use as a means of evangelism, as a means of, of being apologist? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've got a couple ideas about that. The uh, great thing is, is that as humans, we still uh, value human interaction. Um, And just because they have different ways of interacting and using uh, technology, I think they still, um, my students love to talk to me like in person. Um, You know, uh, getting outside of the church and just talking with people. I think we need to make sure that we have... um, love and that we are um, making sure to like present ourselves in like a loving fashion because uh, it's not that they won't talk about matters of theology but um, sometimes if they uh, don't understand religion or spirituality they might just feel that they're too stupid to talk about it and so sometimes I think you have to extend a little bit more grace as far as like what they might know or not know and um like kind of like lay a groundwork for conversation because I think sometimes my tendency is to jump right into the answers and then I like and then I lose them because yeah because yeah. I'm jumping right into things they're not really ready for and I and it's, I, I mean I've had students that would say oh I'm like an atheist I've never read the Bible I've never even touched the Bible and I was like well I've got a stack of Bibles come touch one and he came over and touched one and he's like oh I've never even read it I was like well you, you can I have like five of them you can take it and he like took it and took it home. And I, and I just kind of like said, well, if you if you're interested, just read it. And um, you know, he wasn't like close to that. But if I had said something, you know, snarky, like, well, why are you bad mouthing something you've never read? Yeah, that's different than well, you know what I mean. So yeah. part of it is I think is just approach, and I think oftentimes it can be really tricky. I mean, I I was raised in the church, so for me, it's like I have a reverence for the Bible. 
you know, if one of my students who doesn't respect the Bible, you know, dropped it, that might offend me. And so I'd have to be very careful not to immediately alienate myself from them. Yeah, and so what I'm hearing out of that, though, is uh, a tool that's been around since the beginning of history, really, yeah, when it comes to, it's not just the Bible, but it's catechism. Mm-hmm. Something, this is the way the, the a non-literate society taught. And yeah. so what you would, I, so what I'm hearing what you're saying is, is you need to approach them, you need to come to them, and the, the cool thing about the, and this is what I got to teach, is the word catechism comes from catecheo, which means to sound down, mm-hmm. and um, so you, you taught that yeah. in my church. Yes, your church, and I got it over at Glenstone, too, right. so I had two opportunities to talk and about And it's on this. our site. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, this is a wonderful um, tool that we can use, and it's actually biblical because this is the way they learned in the synagogues and the pre-literate cultures, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, not writing going down, but a lot of oral cultures, which... What are we living in right now? Yeah. yeah, we have a lot of printed material, but people are going on YouTube. Yeah. People want those one minute, you know, like, you blurbs. know, one minute blurbs <laughs> yeah. of like, just like, give me the quick, uh, oversimplified information that I can go then mm-hmm. and be a keyboard uh, yeah. troll, you yeah. know, to or whatever. That's what's happening. But so we need to utilize mm-hmm. something that has been a part of our Protestant history mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's again, what fueled the Reformation was, mm-hmm. was catechesis. And it's kind of just like uh, the way Van Dyken in his book on Rediscovering Catechism, he likens it to a sonar. So what we need to do is ask questions, and then, so we're, we're spitting out the signal, and then it's echoing back to us. So we need to ask them questions and find out what they know. What do they believe? And so we need to keep on this process, and then that's how we know who they are, because we're not going to get it on here, yeah. because they're already believing produced material so they're producing their own material we can't believe what they show Mm. so we need to approach them personally and give them that like i don't know what's made you turn to here to for for relationships but i want a relationship with you i want to talk with you and so yeah you don't have to do that like you know i don't think you even know what atheism is you go what does that even mean yeah and and so just be open that way and that reminds me of something just within the church with my sunday school class is um i had uh, two girls just kind of say, we just really feel like we, we should have a place where we can ask questions that aren't safe to ask in church. And so in like my, uh, you know, 18 to 20 somethings, the, the young adult Sunday school class, they really want to have a place where they can ask questions about, you know, well, like in class today, we were talking about homosexuality. And it's like, is that okay? You know, we need to have a place where we can ask our questions and hear like biblical truth about that. Because yeah. it doesn't always feel safe. I'm not going to talk about that in my mom's Sunday school class. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so like having a place, you know, our Sunday school class is definitely like, like any topic is open for conversation, which I think is true for most Sunday school classes, but even like their comfort level, I think sometimes can vary because you just don't want to be around somebody who's judgy. And just because yeah. I ask a question doesn't mean I believe it, but I kind of am curious. Yeah. And we and, did, and I mean, we need to take that as evidence that the church <laughs> needs to reconsider, um, why are our kids, because... They're, they're thinking that I wouldn't ask this over here in a church, but maybe over here whenever we're the church. Then I Google it. And so, you know, again, this is misinformation. This yeah. is stuff that they're not getting, unfortunately, and that's sad because we should be a group of people willing to hear. Like, we need to know what's being taught in the schools if our kids are going there. And uh, so that's an, that's an open invitation of giving us information. What are they talking about? Yeah. And then that gives you the open invitation to do what Paul has asked us to do, to exhort one another and bear with each other. And that's what the church is supposed to be. So unfortunately, that's something that we as 
church members have probably sucked at, and it has created that generation gap. So this issue is one that should be taken into consideration. We've talked about how we need to, uh, of course, we've got a definition for iGen. We've talked about some of the problems, some of the trends, some of the positive things that we see. Now, tell us a little bit about how you begin to, as a Sunday school teacher, uh, and even a teacher, because both those things, you're not separating yourself from who you are and your worldview. How do you engage these students, and what are some of the things that you're seeing as they come to you, uh, and how have you had to adjust some of your practices as a teacher and as a Sunday school teacher as a result of these generational changes? Um, I think it largely boils down to honesty, because if you're just saying something that's like just smacks of the truth, but like people can just sniff out like something that just doesn't seem true and I think you just have to be open about things um, I've been a Christian my whole life I've made a lot of mistakes and if I try and present myself as like my Sunday best and like I have no warts I'm just this squeaky clean Christian like then I'm gonna look like a hypocrite so I think you have to just own your mistakes you have to own your walk as a Christian and so I think like so in Sunday school you know, like I struggle with things, and so I'll bring those up. And this is how uh, something I still pray about, or something I had overcome for 10 or 15 years, or that sort of thing. Uh, and same thing in the classroom. You know, I I tell my students, you know, if they ask, I don't I don't really bring up religion at all in school unless somebody's asking me something. Um, well, with FCA, with the with FCA, I do obviously. But, um, yeah, I think mainly it's just like being really open and honest. And uh, like, so with stories, you know, it started on Snapchat and stories is on like Facebook and Instagram. People really care about your story. And that is something as like a Christian, nobody can take your story away from you. Yeah. People are interested in your story. So you're in a way, your your witness is more valuable than ever because people will want to hear your story. And, you know, if there's bad things in your story, that makes it more authentic and, and, and more engaging. And so I used to not really bring up things that I'm not proud of, but I'm more likely to bring them up now because it's more genuine. And it, it shows, like, my human side that I've screwed up a lot and I'm still making it. Which is actually the biblical way you're supposed to. You're living biblically consistent doing that. And it's because of people that aren't living biblically consistent because they are producing that. I am I'm awesome now because I have Jesus Christ. Whenever to say you need Jesus Christ means you are feeble and you're broken. So, so that's awesome. What you're saying essentially is that within iGen there is a hunger for some type of spiritual direction, but a lack of a foundation from which to even build like a framework. So there's a lot of miscommunication or just even a lack of understanding at all. And yeah. so a student comes to you and it's not like, oh hey. Um, tell me about why Jesus, uh, tell me about, uh, when Jesus was talking to the disciples here, what he meant, or there is no framework to even understand who Jesus is. Is that, is that kind of the way that you would? Yeah, because so, like, almost anything is possible. So then let me, so, so like, ready, this is going to really hit home and I like, this just came to Go me. Go for it. All the best arguments for the resurrection don't mean garbage or anything to yeah. someone in iGen because guess what they don't even know who Jesus is resurrection mm -hmm. what the heck I mm -hmm. thought that Jesus had like laid mm -hmm. eggs or something on Easter yeah. right like I'm not trying to make fun yeah. or be like but like arguments for the resurrection who cares yeah and you're a pastor of a church I think that's really cool I, th I think I believe in God but, yeah uh, I don't ever think about God because I'm too busy 
streaming on Netflix and yeah. scrolling my Instagram. And, but they're yeah. still going to pause for a minute because there's something spiritually inside of them and be like, oh, cool. Well, tell me about that. I really, my family didn't go to church. We don't know about God. Like, I mean, God doesn't exist. Like, I never thought, thought about it. I read an interesting uh, thing in the news, of, I think, last month where basically human connection, human contact is going to be something that's only available to the wealthy. Because as, uh, you know, all of our devices and technology, our phones, everyone has access to them. And it's going to be, uh, human contact's going to be the domain of the rich. Because everyone's going to interact with everything cheaply and digitally. And the actual human connection is going to be... Moore's Law. A, uh, That's what we couldn't think elaborate. of yesterday. What is it? Moore's Law. Isn't that right? Yeah, go ahead and elaborate. So on. Moore's Law is, we've talked about it yeah. here before. Technology, every year, becomes ten times faster and... Like two times cheaper or whatever, yeah. right? And so that continues to progress. Mm-hmm. And so I, I apologize. I wasn't trying to be rude, but like, just like clicked in my head. You guys no, have already no, talked about how that happens to me. Connection. So everyone, this is the great equalizer. Yeah. And technology can be so cheap, mm-hmm. so cheaply made, so quick. Everyone can have it. Mm-hmm. And what's going to be desired is not the new greatest iPhone. It is, hey, I can pay to go on a vacation and be around people mm-hmm. and have real conversations yeah. because it's going to be cheaper for you to get a virtual reality I mean at first and be like oh i'm going on a virtual reality vacation mm-hmm. welcome but then as things come forward it's gonna be like well everyone can do well, that compared to like the online yeah. education in the post-secondary world. yes and then that's going to filter down i think in the next 10 20 years where there's gonna be a lot of virtual education in the richer I think currently and increasingly going to be paying for human tutors kind of in the old school style from 100 yeah. years ago where the rich were being tutored. And I think being tutored by like, you know, a, a, like an elite educator is going to be something people pay a lot of money for and the poor won't have any choice. It's virtual or nothing. Yeah. And so I don't know. Really, I just read that. I thought that was a really interesting. That's a uh, very yeah. interesting concept Whoever controls there, yeah. the virtual controls what your kids see. Sounds like you a know, rage, rage against the machine. You know, I, I don't want to be, you know, it, it's one of those things that I have the justification for someone like that because I know that humans sin and they're dead set against God. All right. To sin. So anyway. I is, do have you know, to bring, I've got a part. question on yeah. the, right now on the live feed and I've got the watch party. You've got the live feed. So I'm, I'm watching the watch party. He's yeah. watching the live feed. You know this young lady? Mm-hmm. She is a student in your class. She says, it's An- An- Angel Begettis, but you know her as Angelique. Uh, one thing that I have noticed with iGen, my generation, we are very curious. I have many atheist peers that want to learn and listen to my stories. They have been hungry to learn. They grow and they grow and they grow interested. Uh, I have many classmates right now that ask me many questions that I don't have the research to deliver. Mm-hmm. However, we are also quick to be, they are also very quick to be defended. We let our emotions become our responses. And so my question for you in that would be, all right, we've got a hungry group of students, but their emotions are driving them. Mm-hmm. How do we delve into that? I mean, obviously, I don't think that these, that iGen is going to always be over, uh, over emotional. I think that they're prefrontal cortex, because I learned that from Casey Rash last night. <laughs> 25. Yeah, is going to be much more developed, but I want to deal with these folks now, and as they mature, I still want to be able to deal with them. Uh, how do you engage that? Well, and also, we talk about the prefrontal cortex and brain development. 
but my students at 15 or when I see them later after, you know, five years after graduating 25, they're still about the same person. Their decision-making might be improved. But um, to answer that question, I think no decisions that have any sort of spiritual consequences, I think, happen suddenly and quickly. I think you have to have that relationship in the long term. I think you, um, you know, if somebody's asking questions about, like, atheism, is there a God? Well, you say, well, is there a God? What proof do we have uh, of, of God? Is there nothing left after we die and uh, we just cease to exist? And so I think if you can kind of, because if you're, if you're spiritually illiterate, you may not know anything about other world religions besides Christianity. So oftentimes I will talk about, well, I've looked into different world religions, uh, the Christianity and the God of the Bible. I have like a conviction that this is true uh, and I accept it on faith. And, um, but you can, you can have ongoing conversations about spiritual topics and if it if it devolves into an argument suddenly or people get offended, then the conversation stops. And so I think it's really important to make sure that we're respectful, that we can defend uh, our own personal beliefs. And that's the, the true value of apologetics is defending your faith. Um, but I think you defend it in the long term. Now, if you go into like a public debate, that's a little bit different yeah. setting than interpersonal relationships. So I think there's kind of... Uh, there's like a divide between public discourse and a public debate versus maybe your approach within like a personal friendship. No, I didn't exactly. And Adam always, as always, don't let me like hog the conversation by any means, but like I didn't exactly put this into the notes, but I kind of pointed this. So you've observed these students, you've observed these trends. When you are speaking with church leaders that have not studied these trends, when you're talking to the pastor who really isn't completely familiar with this, you know, say I'm a rural pastor, right? And I would, I would contend that there are many churches that are about the same size as my church uh, that are not even completely in the rural setting, but they have teenagers, they have obviously students, right? And they're required to share the gospel with them. What are we doing wrong? Um, man, it would probably just be holding on to our traditions. Um, we want to cleave to Jesus or hold, hold on tightly to him. And, uh, but sometimes I think our structure or format, our religious institutions can get in the way. Um, I don't want to get in sort of uh, translation controversies with like the King James or whatever. Don't worry, we're going to do a debate on the King James. I I would contend that if, um, if you're using the King James to try and preach around people, um, the King James or the ESV are written at a much higher reading level. Um, there's a reason why many publications in our country are written at the fifth or seventh grade reading level. And I think, uh, if you're trying to reach anyone under the age of 40 with the gospel, you should be using the, the New Living Translation, or this, um, I, which I've used for about three or four years, and then a year and a half ago I switched to the Christian Standard Bible. Because there are many people that like to hear that. So it sounds like, um, you know, it's not necessarily another reformation we need, but we do need to keep uh, in mind the, the motto of Semper Reformanda. Yeah. So we need to always be watching what we start out with, say, mm-hmm. whenever we say we plant a church, and then mm-hmm. 70 years later we mm-hmm. find ourselves not able to... Yeah reach anybody and we go okay so what's going on here and instead of holding on to some of those things that were created over that 70 year period we need to look back and go well that's not necessary that's not necessary that's not necessary using the standard right 
and then getting rid of those things that are weighing us down so that you know we can be missional so we can because we need to have the next generation rise up because we're going to die. And it's not, <laughs> and it's not an either or. Take over the church. Like, I've got version. Yeah. The app on my phone has, like, hundreds yeah. of translations. Yes. Like, I yeah. saw you have the ESV study Bible. Probably all my, kinds. My, I love uh, all My favorite. This is great. Yeah. But, like, when I'm working with students, I, I'm going to read from the yeah. CSB because yeah. I don't have to retranslate it. I can just read it, and it stands on its own. Uh, I use the ESV study Bible in personal Bible study, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't preach from it because the only people that are going to understand me in the first pass are going to usually be like college educated. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you're dealing with like theology, that's not something that's going to come in. You know, if you're spiritually illiterate, uh, the average American's reading level is, you know, between sixth and ninth grade. See, I mean, you can look at different studies. Um, and you want people to understand, not just, not just be able to have conversation, but also when you quote scripture, you know, I think it just, there, that would be an example of something we could do. Well, I mean, I would say that would be an argument to contend for expositional preaching. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter in that sense. It doesn't oh, matter yeah, what I Bible agree you're completely. using. Mm-hmm. It's uh, instead of just giving off a verse that people might not understand, even with the, the King Jimmy version, you're still expounding on it. Mm-hmm. So at least, yeah, I, I don't get that in the first pass as I'm reading it because of the weird language. But now this pastor has now unpacked it for me. Now I know what those words mean, meant in the context of the time that it was translated, meant in the time that it was in Greek, and you know. So then you get expositional preaching, and that's not what yeah. we've had in the church. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I think that's more of an argument yeah. for expositional. Oh, I preaching. think that that and is I an love amazing King, argument. I love the King James. I read the ESV like regularly, but I don't think that's a good starting point with yeah. younger people. It needs to be something yeah. a little bit more. Now for them, whenever you're yeah, whenever you're giving them something to read, yeah. yeah. So I can see it that way, yeah. That sounds a lot like, and we talked about this before, you have essentially given us a basis for dialogical apologetics. This is a generation that wants to, and of course, this is a book, 1993, you said? 95, maybe? 90, uh, this one's 93. 93. <laughs> <laughs> but here it is. There's a concept of dialogical apologetics, and I know you haven't read the book. We're going to bring you back on yeah. to probably talk about this topic, but what would make this generation open to that style of apologetics? Well, if it's meaning like dialogue, I think you just have to have open dialogue. Uh, we we want to be able to talk openly about people's sexuality or gender fluidity. Uh, if you can't have a sincere conversation about that, then your voice is not going to have any weight. It, it kind of reminds me, um, we had Andrew Walker on here about two years ago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we were talking about his new book, God and the Transgender Debate. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he advocates for, and again, he works for the ERLC, mm-hmm. uh, so extremely conservative, and he's like, hey, if you run into someone who's in transition mm-hmm. and their birth sex is male, but they want to be called female, mm-hmm. You make sure that as a Christian, mm-hmm. you engage them in that yeah. way. And that's a discussion I don't think that some generations would want to have. This generation would think that you are hateful. So the first mm-hmm. way to end the discussion is to say, oh, those stupid people. Well, You've got to have empathy yeah. that is based in Scripture. If you jump straight to male and female, he created them, then that's the end of the discussion. Hmm. Uh, even though that's true, but in their experience... You know, uh, what was Jesus ridiculed for? Uh, hanging out with prostitutes. 
I mean, hanging out with tax collectors, like you just don't do that. And so the uh, the religious leaders were not okay with that. Like that was a source of derision of Jesus. And so I think the model there would be, you know, who are the kind of people that in my church, like I would, you know, be embarrassed to be seen around or whatever. And that's that's something like for me, it was like an issue. Like how do you take something that has been, you know, let's just take homosexuality and abortion, like these two major topics from like the 80s and 90s and still currently, but they've been heavily politicized. And how do you overcome, like for me, decades of like viewing this as sin, this is wrong, this is like affecting how I vote for a politician, and then just have like an honest dialogue about things. Well, um, you know, I know, you know me as George, but now I'm Nancy. And like, where does, if I just start laughing and like, oh, that's ridiculous, then that relationship is totally gone. And my opportunity to present the gospel to him ends. You know, and if I was struggling with, like, homosexuality, like, I would hope somebody would love me enough to talk with me about it, like, personally. And I mean, this is where, I mean, this is where I can hear a good argument for, again, catechism (laughs) and presuppositional apologetics. Yes. Because what you do is you end up going, instead of going straight evidentially, well, hey... Men have this, women have this, and you're messing with that because that's where evidentialism would go, right? Or we can do the whole presuppositional dance by catechizing them. Why do you believe that you can do that? And that's right. Is there a right and wrong? And then you then yeah. you get through it and you because it's one of those things because then you approach them like I'm trying to understand you. Yeah. So from my point of view, I don't see how you can do that and think it's right now. Let me ask you some questions. How do you get to that fundamental principle of where they go, this is why I believe I am, say, a female trapped in a man's body, and I'm trying to get to that femaleness. And then you get into those standards, and you go, well, here's my standard. And so then you've hopefully gotten to a point where they're dialoguing with you, and you've opened it up like you're trying to understand them, and hopefully they're reciprocating going like, well, this guy's being really nice to me, so maybe I can understand their position a little bit better as well. So you're not going straight to God made a male and female, but you can be like, well, this is where I'm coming from. Here's where you're coming from. Let's have the conversation and then get into what are those foundational principles that lead you to your conclusion. Here's mine. Well, it's an issue of like ethics yeah. and morality yeah. because um, that's not something... You know, like when I teach about genetics, mm-hmm. the ethics of genetics, you know, and like changing the human genome, you know, getting to in vitro fertilization, um, well, we can have like sex changes and surgeries. And so from a science and technology perspective, there's going to be more opportunities to alter the human, what it means to be human. And um, I think he, he even talks about in the Neat Generation Z book, the doctrine of humanity mm-hmm. is like one of these next great areas of what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? And if all these things are up in the air, and, you know, ethically, what's right for you, I respect that. And what's right for you, I respect that. And you're both right. And so I think even having a conversation about ethics and, and is there an absolute truth yeah. and, so and reality is that. something you need you to talk to about first. So, yeah. I mean, like, again, like I just said, think it's the, I, yeah. like, so when I read the book, too, I'm just going to say, and now I have not read the Meet Gen Z, yeah. but when I look at 12 Ages Your Phone is Changing You, and I kind of categorize that into the same as iGen, right? Uh, and then this Meet Generation Z, which I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to, I just see an amazing fertile ground for presuppositional apologetics. Yeah, because it's you not about evidence. You can get straight to the point. Yeah, it's you not about evidence. It's to... about 
which circle are you going to join? Are you going to join God's circle? Or are you going to join your circle among an infinite and, amount of other circles? Yeah. And everybody's right. And one of the things, and then I do have a question for you from sure. the watch party. So one of the things I see is this amazing amount of empathy that iGen has. While they are somewhat disconnected, they have a concern and care for others. They see third world poverty. They've experienced it. Guess what? Like Gen X, you're their ages. World poverty. Maybe you'd see something on TV. No. Maybe, you know. But they actually have a... iGen wants to make a difference and change the world. <laughs> but see, there's this, here's the great, here's at least in my mind, a, a good thing. So if they, if we're looking at something like, um, if we're looking at something like um, No Sense of Place, Joshua Merowitz, and he talks about how our mediated experience generationally changes us. We actually have, we feel like we have had that experience. Then it makes complete sense to me that a student who is watching online a school shooting is going to feel like it's theirs. Mm-hmm. Guess what? An amazing amount of empathy is there. Mm-hmm. That just opens up the door, in my mind, for ways to say, ah, that is objectively evil, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's evil. And they will tell you, guess what? There is no wiggle room on that being objectively evil. Mm-hmm. They believe it completely. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, you can't share it from a place of, this is my duty or I'm like doing, like I'm checking all the right boxes. Like you have to genuinely love and care for them. And so that that love component of like respecting them as an individual, whether they're, you know, just poor or lonely or bisexual or whatever, whatever like their thing is, you just really kind of have to like accept them where they're at and like love on them. And, and I think you have to share the gospel from a place of love because otherwise you just, the slip, slippery slope is to get down into like dogma, which is where then all of a sudden now it's like you're judging me. So, and so that's, so if that's me, that's my big danger zone is if I started getting preachy or something, I just have to remember like human first and then like my, my that, personal views and Yeah, that brings us to this next question. I'm not going to sure. use a person's name. Okay. I'm not going to be completely reading the question, but essentially one of the, Watch Party folks has an issue where they have a relative who is uh, Mm 16-ish, that kind of age, and they're struggling with gender identity. Uh Uh, How would you address someone? uh, Mm -hmm. You're a public school educator. You have looked at iGen. You Mm -hmm. are also a Sunday school teacher. Mm -hmm. You have have dealt with Mm -hmm. students who have probably had this exact same thing. How would you do that? Um, and bring it back to the gospel. Yeah. If you're a parent, a great resource for this kind of topic is Growing With. Uh, it's a follow-up to a previous book called Growing Young. Growing With is targeted parents. It's how to like parent uh, iGen. Uh, it's called Growing With by Kara Powell and Stephen Argue. And I think they basically say you grow alongside them. And as, as, you know, as a 16-year-old person questioning your identity, that is something that if you condemn, that journey will happen without you. Or in spite of you and if it's something you're alongside them with every step of the way then you'll be part of the conversation and so you know be there for your kid don't tell them what to do they know that if they want your opinion that you will give it to them and so if you burn your bridges um, then your voice kind of disappears but I think you travel you grow up with your kids 
You got a static. That was my bed. Sorry guys uh, for that uh, very uh, bad Technical noise. Glitch. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's fixed now. Yeah. Yeah. So so you um, I think the tricky thing with parenting and this is kind of like the uh, the main thing I got out of reading this other book was that um, I have I was you know as a parent I just feel like you know you've got to be the parent you've got to be the parent in the relationship and they're the child and then they become adults and I never really transition my role away from like the parent instructing my children bringing them up in the way of the lord the next step is i always thought well your kids grow up they become adults and become independent independent adults thinking living believing and they would say actually you don't become independent you become interdependent where your children rely on you and you rely on your children as they become adults and you go through your life journey together and you don't just because they turn 18 or move out of the house they're not independent from you. You should still be interdependent. And so I'd say maintain that relationship with your child. And um, if we were being bombarded with these messages when we were teenagers, we would be having the same crisis. Mm -hmm. And and I would have wanted my parents to be there and talk with me about it. And if they were saying, uh -huh. well, the Bible says that's wrong, like this can't be, well, then I would be talking with my friends or people or people online. And I think that's good <laughs> stuff. And, yeah. and I would state... Just, uh, again, Niall, I don't have any adult children. I, I know that's an experience that you have. But I don't know if my children are saved until they walk out the door, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They can say all these things in the home. But I'm really going to know where they are as they walk out the door and they go into some type of adulthood, mm -hmm. right? And so anything I can do to encourage them to draw closer to God, I'm going to do. I'm going to speak truth and love to them. And it seems if those generational trends are right, most of these young people are not going to say, oh, you shut up. It is, oh. And that just opens the door in my mind for God to work on their heart, uh, to God to draw them to salvation, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, it's just growing up in a biblically-minded uh, family. I mean, so, you know, I'm hearing... Um, you know, don't throw the Bible at them. I mean, I think uh, what really is there is a lot of parents probably say, well, the Bible says it. I'm not going to say any more about it. Mm -hmm. That's just what it says and move on because they don't want to bear in love with their children. So what we need is parents that are theologically minded in the Bible, in the scriptures mm -hmm. to go, well, it's not just that it says it. This is why. And then mm -hmm. bringing them up into that way that they should go. And so then you, you know, when they walk out the door, you can wash your hands. I made a disciple like I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And then that hopefully teaches them responsibility. And if they go, they go. Mm -hmm. And whichever way they go, they go. That's on them. But you as a parent, mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have to be a helicopter parent, but at the same time, you can't be absent either. And so, you know, I think, uh, I think what, what this iGen has made and I think um, I could probably say the Young Restless Reform Movement is the other side of that uh, that coin. You had iGen, Millennials going this way, and then you have this Young Restless Reform Movement that I think um, is definitely a means uh, of going the opposite way to where it's like, Circle my parents were there. like this, but I don't think that's true, but I know that there's truth in it for mm -hmm. some. I'm, I feel it, because I, I felt like, I felt led, um, like, you're not getting it all and nobody is coming to you. And I think I was led on a journey to find a place that loves discipleship, loves doing all that. So like I ended up over here where I could have easily ended up over here. 
Um, and I think that's the grace of God in my life that I can praise him for. But the other end of this spectrum, you know, the what we can see from the last generations from, well, the Bible says it. I'm not going to explain any more to mm. you. Um, you know, we need to see here and go, well, this is why it says it. You know, God said in the beginning, you know, he created reality. And so reality is, and so you start from there and you, and from a young age, I mean, that's what I've done with my daughter is going, well, this is what the Bible says. I'm not throwing the Bible at her and saying, shut up. I'm saying, no, this is why. And so then you're living with your kid, you're bearing with your kid. And so I'm not necessarily being a helicopter dad, Could you but do I'm me a favor? loving dad that, you know, yeah. maybe this generation of iGen hasn't had because they've they're the ones responsible for divorcing life from the gospel. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Just had a request. Could you hold those books up again oh, yeah. for yeah. one of our viewers? And uh, I'm going to go ahead and send her links too, but uh, yeah, she just, was asking if you could yeah, go ahead yeah. and give us the book, throw the book, give us the title again, okay. and we can kind of wrap things up, but we yeah. will have you back on. Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk more about dialogical apologetics. I think that Nathan will be a great guest for that. Yeah. And so That'll be awesome. All right, so this one is uh, iGen by Dr. Uh, Jean Twenge, and she is a secular um, generational researcher. And uh, this is probably one of the books on uh, iGen or, or Gen Z. It is a meta-analysis. It's got data. a lot of statistics and research, and it's a secular uh, resource. It's excellent. Um, there is a Christian resource called uh, Next, uh, sorry, Meet Generation Z, uh, which is by James White. Emory it, White. For our fans. Yeah, James Emery White. <laughs> and uh, I've only read about half of it. Uh, it's also very good, and, and he is a Christian. Uh, for parents, uh, I think the two greatest resources, just for like parents, and if you're not uh, maybe going to read a lot of books, uh, one is called Growing With, and um, Growing With by Kara Powell and Stephen Argue. And it just came out like in the last month or so. It's excellent. It talks about, uh, it just takes a different breakdown of child rearing. Um, uh, as far as not just like the stages your children go through, but as your children go through a different life stage through adolescence into adulthood, your role as the parent changes. And it is an excellent book. And uh, I am make, going to make sure my wife gets that. I did take a picture of it when you uh, showed yeah. it to me earlier. And then the, the last one, which applies to anyone who owns a smartphone, is 12 Ways Your uh, Phone is Changing You by Tony uh, Rinke. And, um, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, that your smartphone has been carefully engineered to demand your attention, to notify you, and to con you know to control your attention uh, and direct it to it, whether it's for advertising or whatever. And so this yeah. is um, actually set up in a chiasm, like in the Old Testament, where he goes through and uh, breaks down the way that your phone is changing you. And um, just for me, it was very helpful to identify the impact my phone was having on my behavior and to actually be pro proactive and make sure I could reduce that impact. Um, you know, reducing my number of notifications and a variety of things. And it was a very quick read as and appropriate for me as an adult yeah. who grew up before the internet and just as appropriate for uh, young people as well. Awesome. Well, man, that's, uh, we've bought, hey, we got over 10 minutes as your wife, uh, you know, <laughs> she's, been, she's been great. She's always great. Well, gracious. I, I could, just want to make sure you're I, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm okay because okay. I think this is good stuff. I kind of knew that it was yeah. going to go over. We've got another yeah. question okay. from the, from the watch party. Um, a great big deal at my school with homosexuals are the terms, I didn't choose it, it chose me. I was born this way. A gay gene, question mark. I want to share, I want to share to my friend the article 
that that my dad had authored, sorry, that my dad had not had shared, but I think it's offensive. Okay, so, mm -hmm. got to give you a little, sorry, I was just reading it live. Mm -hmm. uh, so, my father shared an article about how scientific research has, mm -hmm. has now demonstrated very clearly that there's not a gay gene, right? Mm -hmm. That is a fallacy. Yeah. Anyone who would argue, it didn't choose, uh, I didn't choose it, it chose me, that's an antiquated understanding of there's this genetic, you know, mm -hmm. that has been shown comprehensively in studies that that's not the case. So what this young lady is asking is, instead of just handing this person this mm -hmm. article that says, hey, no, no, you say that all day, but look at this, science says, mm -hmm. how do you deal with that student? Yeah, so when you're arguing from evidence, then you're in almost an adversarial relationship, which mm -hmm. in the context of a, of a formal debate is yeah. perfect. But in the context of a personal relationship with that person, handing them an article is kind of like, well, just read this and it'll tell you why you're wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think with something like that, where do you draw the line on those conversations? Well, what if, what if the science, you know, what if we can definitively show there is no gauging and, you know, it's, it's a choice? Then, well, what if I still have an operation and I biologically change my gender through, uh, you know, through a surgery? Well, I mean, so we can always alter the reality. And and what if there is a gay gene? You know, so like when you get into that type of stuff, um, I would say your relationship with that person is more important than the talking points. Mm -hmm. And uh, a person who uh, feels that they were born and they're the wrong gender and they're identifying as a different gender, then just accept them from there and have a relationship with them. You know, read the Bible with them and... You know, either God exists or he doesn't. Either there is absolute truth or there isn't. And there is a Holy Spirit that will convict of sin or there isn't. So if those things that we believe are true, then we have to trust God. And the Holy Spirit will convict them of sin. And uh, I don't think we're going to intellectually talk them into the kingdom of God. Yeah, and I mean, for, for one thing is it's not an intellectual problem. That's right. It is a they hate God problem. It's an ethical problem. So, yeah, we need to make sure that uh, we're giving them the truth mm -hmm. from the Bible, um, but we need to, you know, try to figure out ways. And, you know, we can we can go evidence for evidence all day. Um, they're still going to believe what they want to believe um, and invent some other argument. We're, we're, remember, we're in the world of arbitrariness if we're not in the world of truth. And those so, conversations yeah. can happen. They don't happen up front. Once you have that relationship... Then you start looking into the arguments for against. Then you start looking into the science. But I, if you have it up front, people generally just tune out, or the or the relationship starts to fizzle out. So I think the time and place for that is later on. The same thing with Bible study together, looking at the science. Uh, you mentioned ethics again. What so the you know maybe you start talking about ethics. You know. Uh, yeah. Well, we are out of time. Yeah. And I think we had a little live stream issue. It's probably still oh. recording. So uh, if you guys are, if you guys did not get this on Facebook, well, it hasn't uh, broken up just yet uh, on yeah. the. Uh, yeah, we're at one hundred nine so. at what's out there, and we're at one fourteen here in the studio time. Oh, but anyway, um, if you guys uh, missed out on any of this, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and watch this as soon as I get it uploaded later this evening. So, but I think with that said, I mean we we've really. Um, you know, hit on a few points, you know, what do we need to do? We need to talk. We need to be, we do need to have an open mind, not that we believe it's true, mm -hmm. but we need to have an open enough heart to hear why they think it's true 
so that we know where they're coming from, and then we can deal with the gospel in their in that situation. Again, I think you've made a great illustration just from what you said. You know, just why we need catechism, why we need like you know those presuppositional issues, because these are foundational principles. And so I think from this, this is a very good conversation starter. Hopefully, um, as we try to reach people that are looking for something and they thought they found satisfaction, but we need to show them they're only satisfied in Christ, not their phone, you know, mm. and, and how we get there. I like all that. Um, this individual is someone that you have as a student mm. that has been asking these some of these questions, sure. and they still have some more questions. Okay. And so um, would you give me just one more moment, and it. then we will cut it, because I know you need to get home, be with your family. I get home packed to go to Louisville, and I want to be with my family too. Yeah. But... The individual says, that's the thing. She wants these questions answered before I could approach her to read the Bible with me. Mm-hmm. I pray for her all the time. She wants these questions answered before I even attempt to bring the gospel to her. Don't know what to do. Yeah. So then just talk about the Bible later. Gotcha. I mean, just meet meet your friend. Build a relation. Yeah, yeah, just look at it together. You'll probably learn some things. Every day I walk into my classroom, I learn things. Uh, every time I crack open my Bible, read it again, something new. So, um, yeah. The watch party is still going, but the live stream is, huh. Yeah, I don't know, looks great Whatever. on the watch party. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we better wrap it up. So Nathan does not know how we wrap up our show. Yes, we got the, uh, what's written on here, Soli Deo Gloria. So we got three words, three people. Um, I'll say solely. Yeah, sure no. you will. <laughs> okay, you will get solely. I'll get glory. You get the deo. So basically, that's how we end the show. So, um, with that said, thank you guys uh, for uh, sticking around with us. Um, we went extra overtime today, which yeah. is awesome. I thank mean, you for having me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we're we really thank glad, you, uh, and we will have you back. All I think you've got some good yeah. stuff here, and uh, excited. Yeah. If you do have questions, be sure to. Uh, Send us a message, and we'll be happy to get them to Mr. Stitt or answer them to the best of our ability. Be sure to, if you are watching us on Facebook, be sure to share the video. Be sure to share the podcast. And if you're just listening, make sure you give us some nice feedback and tell us good things. Yeah, and (laughs) most of all, though, go share Jesus Christ. That's right. And say, you've met Jesus Christ, right? So, like the, uh, you know, whenever we look in the Gospels, we see them at the very beginning, come and see. So invite them to see Jesus um, sometime this week. So even if it's if, even if it's hard and it's a struggle, we've got to get out there and spread the gospel. I mean that's it. So with that said, this is the Taggart Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And we got and Soli. Oh wait, no, 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 no. Wait. I'm very good. Oh, I did it last week. Soli. Yeah. Gloria.